Catherine Gallagher, Jan Pesson, and this is Bitchin' About Food. Well, I'm glad we did all our housekeeping last week, Jan, because today we have a very special guest. We do. Yes. And it's somebody that I've only met once, and you've met maybe twice. It's three a, times. It's a, fr- okay, three, three times. times. The charm. The charm. Yeah. Yep. Um, Colleen, Colleen, who was on our one of our first podcasts, who is our one of our most ardent supporters and biggest fans, Colleen Wainwright. Her or pretends to be. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Maybe. Hmm. Who knows? Okay. <laughs> anyway, go on. Sorry. I want your medication to kick in fast. I know. Okay. Me too. Okay, listen. Okay. So, Colleen's dear friend, Frederick Johnson, is here. Welcome to the Yay. podcast. Woo-hoo! Thank you guys so much for having me. It's well, good to be here. It's our pleasure. So, we're going to be bitching about food. Okay. Okay. But before we do that, I need to relay a story to our listeners, 36 of them now. Um, you know, when I called you way back when, mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. back to talk, to prepare you for coming on this podcast mm-hmm. and to kind of discuss what we're talking about, mm-hmm. you mentioned something to me that completely blew me away, which relates to food. Okay. Here's what it was. You, you were not feeling well at the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and a friend said to you you look kind of thin have you lost weight and you're like oh, i don't really know and then you got on the scale and you had lost 30 pounds yeah okay let's look at that for a moment because jan and i <laughs> when we don't eat an entire bag of potato chips we wake up and we're four ounces lighter and we get on the scale and we celebrate because we can feel that yeah I don't understand how you cannot know that you lost 30 fucking pounds. Okay. Because <laughs> um, I, I I did not know. So I had a, and still have, I'm still in treatment, but I have this fungal lung infection. The medical term of it is too long and crazy to yeah, say, but it's, it's valley, commonly known valley as fever. valley fever. Yeah. So... I not didn't contagious. get not contagious. Yeah. So I I Damn, started I want to lose thirty pounds. <laughs> Shoot, you don't anyway. want valley so, fever, Jan. You I'm don't kidding. want so because valley fever can be fatal. It's because it's it originates in the lungs, but can spread throughout your entire body and get in your bones and joints, your brain and your heart. So yeah. I had to have a battery of test after test to make sure it wasn't in my heart, make sure it wasn't in my brain, make, you know, the MRIs and scans and all this stuff. But and you got this hiking. I got the psyching. It's in the soil in mountainous areas in the Southwest. So I had never heard of it. Once I actually mentioned it to people, people that uh, in California and Arizona, they were like, oh, yeah, my brother had that. Or, oh, yeah, my cousin got that. Um, So it it was more known than I thought, even though I had heard of it. So, But I started getting sick Wednesday, September 28th of last year. And I actually had what now was the last hike I've done, or, or, you know, the most recent hike I've done, which was Saturday, October 1st. So that Saturday I was going on a hike and I thought, um, oh, I'm going on this big hike. And it was to a peak I had been to twice, but never on what was was, what was supposed to be the hardest way to get there. So of course, which is Mount Baldy. Yeah. Dean does this. Dean hikes all the time. He's done Baldy many times. And I told him about you and he's like, okay, well, if I get it, I get it. I'm like, okay, Mr. Fatalist. So there's the common way everyone goes to Mount Baldy. Right. That's a popular sort of way that I, that I think is. Did you do the Mountaineers route? Yeah, this was this 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 will this wasn't the Mountaineers route, but this was this other. I can't even think of the name of the trail right now, but this was the one that's actually not as many miles of a round trip as other because I've gone to Mount Baldy in a way that's a that's a nineteen mile way. Oh, I've gone the common way that's the the fourteen mile round trip. This is only like a thirteen mile round trip, but it's the steepest way to go so Dean's you get this. yeah so yeah. this is the one so i thought well i've got to do that one because i've got to save another one so i wasn't feeling well but i told myself i'll whatever it is i'll sweat it out i'll just get it all out right but i already wasn't feeling well and the previous weekends i had been every weekend doing these peaks in the san bernardino yeah. wilderness this is what my boyfriend and does every weekend yes so these crazy people that you know i was doing these things and so anyhow 
by the time Monday, October 3rd came, I just had this full bone blown flu. And um, I didn't know what it was. And of course, I thought it was COVID at first. And long story short, after a series of urgent care, emergency room, telehealth visits, I finally went back to the doctor and did like special blood tests and special x-rays because nothing was working that the emergency room doctor or my own doctor, the, the urgent care people couldn't find anything, you know, kept saying, oh, just do Tylenol and this and that. And so finally I got- I have to, I have to stop you <laughs> to say, this is triggering Jan. <laughs> she's been dealing with doctors. We both have, but she's been dealing yeah. with doctors and it's impossible to get any sort well, of help from the medical profession. Well, you really. know what? When an emergency room doctor tells you, the emergency room doctor said, you have something going on that we're not, he said, we don't even do this type of testing in the emergency room. He said, if you want to check into the hospital, we can do something more. He said, but you really need to do some special testing. So I went back to my primary care doctor after that little bit of that journey. And he said, come on in, let's do some special blood tests, do some special x-rays, which then led me to an infectious disease specialist who by the time I got that appointment and saw him, he immediately said, you have one of three things. One of them was valley fever. First, he asked me, he said, have you been out of the country? Oh. That was his first question. Because this was like a tropical kind of Ebola. flu. Yes, yeah. this was, when I tell you guys, this was like a nonstop sweating that was just like crazy. And this was like a persistent, like 103 degree fever, like 10 days straight. No. Yeah. And so what was happening is that I never was hungry. I was never hungry and I was doing broth because I kept saying, I would look up and it would be like one o'clock in the afternoon and I would say, oh, I haven't eaten. I should eat something. And I just <laughs> didn't even have an appetite. So I was doing broths and I was doing light things. I never felt hungry. And that's one of the one of the symptoms of Valley Fever is the suppressed appetite and, and weight loss. So I looked up, got finally got a diet. And then the, the, the last thing before the diagnosis was... The pulmonologist, because I thought there were two things going on. There was a lung thing showing up in an x-ray, and there was blood work stuff that was showing other stuff. So I thought, oh, I've got two things going on. So the pulmonologist said, you have to have this procedure called a bronchoscopy, oh, this, like as soon right. as possible. That's painful. And so I went and had this bronchoscopy on November 2nd. And they, you know, you get put out and they have a little robot go down a tube and get samples of your lungs and then they do a biopsy. Fun. And so I'm thinking, oh, God, it's going to be lung cancer. It's going to be this like my mind's going to I have whatever this other thing is. Plus, like they're going to find something horrible about my oh, lungs. Catherine never does that. So. <laughs> That she would never do that. <laughs> so all of it. No. So Dean calls results. me Kath. He goes catastrophe. That's his nickname. Catastrophe. Right. catastrophe. Yes. So I'm just thinking. And then meanwhile, you guys, meanwhile, I'm taking every week, multiple times a week, I'm going and everything's at a different location in this health system. So I'm going to Santa Clarita for this MRI. I'm going to yeah. whatever for this ultrasound. We I'm were literally just talking about this in the car. Yeah. So yeah. it's just this whole thing. I'm doing this. So I'm thinking like, okay, it's, you know, it's got to be bad, whatever it is. So finally, the results come back and it was all valley fever, all of it. So which was good to find out. There was nothing else in those lung samples except valley so fever. So what was the treatment? So the treatment is, in or which I started, the results came back on Monday, November 7th, and the infectious disease specialist said, it's confirmed, we're going to start the treatment tomorrow. So on November 8th, I started this four pill a day <sighs> antifungal medication treatment, which took me about six weeks to really kind of be able to function on. So it was very aggressive. And it was one of those every day I woke up, I felt like I was coming out of a fog. And it took me like the better part of an hour to even be able to get out of bed. And then by the time like 4pm in the afternoon rolled around, I was exhausted. And that's every day for me. Every I get day, it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I get it. It was like every day. And so finally, the week of but so here was the thing, my appetite came back. Oh, yeah. Once I got the medication going, and Every day, I just wanted nachos and I wanted okay. bread. And I I hadn't had cereal in years. I've been drinking smoothies for breakfast and stuff for years. I ran out and just bought cereal, and I want. I hadn't had. I hadn't had milk in years. I'd just been doing. You know, either I wasn't ever a big milk person, or if I was I doing milk. right, or I was doing like you know um, milk alternatives like oat milk and soy. I mean, all this kind. Of, 
I just wanted whole milk and cereal. I wanted bread. You were I regressing. Wanted, I wanted ground beef nachos. I know there was something like nostalgic about yeah. it, even though I never really ever really ate that way. It was almost nostalgic in a fantasy sort of way. We'll talk about that, your yeah. childhood food. But I want to yeah. go back to the broth moment, yeah. the early days. But that's how I that's how I lost the weight. To answer yeah. the question, that's how I lost the weight. And so I but, gained I mean, but Jan and I 10 never... pounds back from that. Yeah. But he, yeah. you said the sentence to yourself when you woke up, when you looked at the clock at one o'clock in the morning, you said, oh, I have never eaten. It didn't even occur to you. We've never said that to ourselves. <laughs> I never well, said that speak either. for yourself, Catherine. <laughs> I have said that to myself. I never, and it was one o'clock in the afternoon, like lunchtime. I, I, and I never said that to myself either. And I knew like I was trying to force myself, but I just couldn't, I don't know. It was like, I couldn't, I had no, like mentally, I couldn't like eat a meal. Well, you were sick. But I was sick, yeah. I don't understand how a fungal infection that really kind of affects your lungs would be an appetite suppressant. That's weird. Yeah. Not to me. Really? Uh-uh. And it and in Again, yeah. something she's never been familiar yeah. with because <laughs> she'll be dead and still want to eat. So there's that. Oh my god. I wish she well, would stop grouping me in with her on this. Well, let it's me annoying. tell you, I okay. was eating like crazy. And so then what happened when I gained See, only 10, gained pounds 10 pounds or back. so? Okay. I was just kind of like because the other thing too is I was a person that was really active, but it was hard for me to lose weight because there was just kind of, there was the being active, but there's also the food stuff. So I was always, I just wanted to get to 200. I was like 207 when I got diagnosed. I just wanted to get, I thought if I can just be 200 pounds, I'll be happy. And I ended up 177. Yikes. So then when I was 170, now I think I'm like 188 as of last week's one month blood test follow-up appointment. I'm like 188. So after I started getting a little weight, I just thought, you know what? I don't need to gain all that weight back. Like yeah. I don't need to gain thirty pounds back. Well, wait a minute. So I went appet- from an extra large to a large. But wait a second. Went- Is your appetite? Did your appetite come back? Yeah, in, in it, full. It came back like full force once I started that treatment. That's what I was saying. Like every day, I wanted tacos. I wanted nachos. I wanted cereal. cereal. I wanted. No. I was just eating like crazy. Well, how did you? How do you avoid? How how have you avoided keeping off? How how have you not gone back to your original weight before you got sick so what i did and this is just really like the how strong my will is is that i started of course i started going back to how i was eating before and then i really just started moderating like i really said and here was the other big part of it is that i was hiking every i was doing some cardio every day in my neighborhood in hills in like the hills. So I was kind of hiking in that way, then doing these bigger hikes on the weekend. What really changed is that in January, I finally had enough energy to want to walk. And I hadn't done anything since Saturday, October 1st. So I thought it was around Martin Luther King weekend. And I thought, you know what? I think I'm ready to start walking again. Wow. Just in the neighborhood. So it was that depleting? You it was that eat depleting. You move. It was that depleting. And so I finally was like, okay, I think I'm ready to start walking again. So when January came, then it started raining. And so I thought, oh, well, I've tried to walk. Yep. And I was about to talk myself out of it. And then this thought came you know, there's that 24-hour fitness right above the hiking store that you go to around the corner and across the street. There's that REI. Remember, there's that gym right upstairs. Before I could talk myself out, and this was, you guys, as you remember, it was like that four months straight of rain. Yeah. I went right to the 24-hour fitness. I think it was Martin Luther King Day. I went (laughs) right to the 24-hour free at last. I went right to the 24-hour fitness. I got a 12-week personal training session and just started. And the next day, that Tuesday, I met with a personal trainer and I started and I told him, I said, I and I was off work on short-term disability for 12 weeks. I did two weeks of sick time, of paid sick time, and then I did 12 weeks of state disability. So I was off work. The day after the bronchoscopy was my last day at work. And my boss had been telling me I was being asked to go on disability. And I kept saying, no, no, I'm fine. Like I kept thinking... I was okay. And I was on Zoom meetings in October, like 
trying not to sweat or trying to pull it together and just be okay for the Zoom meeting. And I looked horrible and I felt horrible, but I just was in denial about how bad it really was. You're thinking it was going to get better once I figured out what it was. Well, isn't there also a thing where you kind of have to keep it together for work? And, I, and I it was, sort of forces your body yeah, to kind there, of There was shore that up element yeah. for sure where I thought, and I work at a nonprofit that at the time was we were still struggling coming out of two years of not raising any money. So I didn't want to look like I wasn't viable and I wasn't relevant and I wasn't participating. But I had, my boss was telling me, you need to take some time off. It was so bad. HR reached out to me, like she called HR and they reached out to me. <laughs> honey, and they you said, look a little, you look a little peaked, honey. <laughs> they reached out to me and they said, we just want to tell you what your options are. Yeah. And one of the options, and this was the thing when they said, cause I then started doing sick days and I was like, fine, I'll do sick time. I didn't know in the state of California, I don't know if this is in general, but in the state of California, you can be laid off or fired on sick time. You can't on disability. You cannot legally be fired if you're on disability. So that actually was my biggest motive because I thought, I don't want to get laid off because anything could happen that has nothing to do with me. Yeah. I could just be laid off, phased out, yeah. economic issues with the company, whatever. That was the thing that was really like, ooh. And, and so it was really more go on this short-term disability to guarantee. And then the infectious disease specialist told me the recovery was going to be three to six months for Valley Fever. So I thought, well, if I do 12 weeks of disability, I might be able to go back to work 100%. Yeah. So I went back to work February 8th, but at that point, I was going to 24-hour fitness every single day since Martin Luther King Day. Oh my God. Every single day, I was meeting with the personal trainer every single week. And like, I was just from the ground up and I told him what my medical situation was. He said, you've lost muscle mass, you've lost this. He said, we're just gonna start with just bare basic body strengthening stuff. So basically you had to build yourself back up from yeah. the cellular level yeah. all the way back up to, I yes. mean, you, you, we're, we're, you guys can't see him cause you're listening, but he's got the most beautiful shorts outfit on. I want to snatch it right off his body. It's like a cotton top Macy's. and cotton shorts that match. I'm going to go to Macy's right now to the men's department. And his and legs one. are better looking than mine too. So <laughs> there's absolutely that. gorgeous. Here's the, Here's the tip. Gorgeous. You go to Macy's late July, early August, because they're giving away their summer oh, yeah. stuff. Don't worry. That's when you go. So you go get yours. And even if you don't wear it this year, you'll have it for next summer. Yeah. Because they, I'm telling you, they're giving it's their summer gorgeous. stuff away. Catherine, to get rid of it. when's the last time you wore shorts? I'm just curious. <laughs> right around the time you wore shorts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah. these are long and cute. Yeah. They'd have to go down to my ankles. So Come on. it's not going to work. For all, me. Right, let's, anyway. all right, let's let's bitch about food for a minute. Yeah. Let's talk Please. about how you, uh, I want to talk about three things. Your childhood. Okay. I want to talk about how you ate before valley fever okay. and how you eat after valley fever. Okay. So let's go back to the childhood. Okay. So where were you raised? How many siblings? Who cooked in the house? Okay. What was your deal? Okay. So I was raised by my father and stepmother. And the first place I lived was briefly remembering this was 29th Street in Vermont, not far from USC. We were the first house in on 29th Street on the corner. It was a liquor store on the corner, an alleyway on the south side of 29th Street, and then this greenhouse. And Wait, that was our house. I thought you said 29th Street in Vermont. No, you mean and Vermont. And Vermont. And so Vermont. L LA. I just in drove down to USC to go to Keck Medical the yeah. other day. Yeah. Yes. It's far. Yeah. It's a schlep. That's it's far. It's a fucking Shit. schlep. But I was driving through, not to, but I, I did drive through some neighborhoods and I thought, these are cute houses. Yeah. The, it, it was very, it was a very, the neighborhood was even, I remember even as a kid, even though I only lived there till like, but my mother stayed in that house for a little while. But my father, my father lived on, 7th Avenue off Jefferson, which is kind of your Jefferson and Crenshaw. Okay. So that's where I went to go live. But they did have, now I go back, those houses seem so big as a kid. And now you see, oh, there's these tiny I little know. houses, but they seem huge at the time. I know. But so that was near kind of the university. Or we used to go to that movie theater at USC. I think it was called University Cinemas. Right. That's where I saw, that's where I saw, that's where I saw Jaws. <laughs> yeah. That's where I saw, um, <laughs> Um, Swamp Thing with Adrian Barbeau. 
Oh, wow. God. That's where I saw. That was a Carpenter movie, right? <laughs> wow. Because he was dating You're her. You're pulling, anyway. pulling out all the hits. But anyway, who cooked? Okay. When you were my a kid. Dad, so my dad did the cooking. So what? primarily, that's where all of my elementary school years were on 7th Avenue and Jefferson. He did it. My stepmother had specialty things she made. She admittedly was not a cook. Admittedly. She did really bad spaghetti. Oh, God. How can you do bad spaghetti? But well, that's okay. <laughs> Listen, are you still close with your stepmother? What's her, yes, what's her, I, what's her I, name? Rainbow. Rainbow? Rainbow. That's not her birth name. Rainbow, but she, don't take it personally. She, these were 70s new age people. Rainbow, send Everyone us an email on how, you make, how do you make bad spaghetti? You put it no. in a... Uh-oh, I just went out. No, I hear you fine. I hear no, you No, I unplugged myself somehow. Did you? Oh, no, I didn't. No, okay, because you sound you there. Sound, we go. Yeah, okay. you're there. You're there. Okay. So well, this was everybody changed every their second. name in '70s metaphysical circles. So everyone had two names. So what was your uh, change name? I my name was the same. My, but I'm just saying the adults around me all had two names. Wait, so your your stepmom changed her name to Rainbow. What did your dad change his name to? Um, he was a couple of different things. He um at one point by the time the 80s came, he just became the fisherman. The fisherman? The okay. Fisherman. So they looked at you and they're like, "What are you going to change your name to?" And you're like, "Frederick, which is my name." And I was a junior. <laughs> And so then they had a child that they named Rainbow as well. Oh, so when people God. started having answering machines, and I went to Eagle Rock High School. So when people in the early 80s started having like a home answering machine, was becoming more common. Ours said, it was my stepmother, and it said, you have reached the house of Fredericks and Rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, let's talk about Rainbow Spaghetti. Because I want to so, hear about Rainbow Spaghetti. Why was it? So, why was it just... Well, you know what it was? It was just like... I don't know. I think it was just a bad jarred sauce. Okay. I think that's what it was. I think it was just not a great sauce. Yeah. So, but she did that. But A she, for effort, Rainbow. Come on. A for effort. A for effort. She was great with snacks. And so oh. I remember after school snacks would be, and they were healthy snacks too. My parent, my father, the macro, 70s macrobiotic diet people. Oh no. So yeah. They so were they there. Shackley, Amway. Oh, no. All oh, that. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. But did they force yeah. that on the kids? Macro? Yeah, we, yeah. Well, my dad did not do junk food. So we weren't allowed to eat junk food. We weren't allowed to drink soda. On a spe- This is the most that would happen is on a, possibly on a Saturday night. If I was watching TV with my dad, let's say there was like, I think we used to watch like Elvira. What was that show yeah, on Saturday? Yeah, Miss yeah, yeah. Movie Macabre. Yeah. Remember that? Maybe we'd watch that on Saturday and maybe we'd get like some Lay's potato chips as a treat. Maybe. Yeah. But he didn't do fast food. Um, He didn't That's do yeah. at all. Was and he we super didn't do healthy? Soda. He was super healthy. He was into martial arts. He was into swimming. He was into uh, super healthy. And he also... um. We couldn't like do soda, but every once in a while, a special occasion, maybe you might do ginger ale or root beer or something like that. But this was how my mother tried to raise us too. Yeah. She tried to do this, but then I was hanging out with neighbor kids who just ate and drank whatever they wanted, and then I would go to their house and eat and drink whatever they had, and then my mother finally just gave up. She had this idea, you know, I'm not going to feed the kids any sugar. And right. then my neighbor, Gretchen Lundholm, was like, how about some candy? I'm like, what's that? And then I ate it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I want more. And mom finally was like, well, screw it. But Well, it was fun going, like, even if it was, like, my cousins or neighbor kids, because I didn't have, like, those serious. That's what I mean. It was a nostalgic fantasy when I was talking about that earlier, because they were having, like, lucky charms and things. Like, we didn't have cereal. <laughs> we didn't eat. We ate grits. We ate oatmeal. We ate cream of wheat. We Gr- ate granola. like that's what granola. Yeah. We that's what we ate. We had a tablespoon of cod liver oil every morning. Ooh. So that so I wasn't even eating those kind of cereals and stuff. But I would covet that when I'd go over to other people's houses. It was like a treat to be able to have that. But what's your earliest food memory? Is it something like old fashioned, like mac well, and cheese or burgers, what? or is it I macrobiotic? Would... <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say it without wrinkling my face up. <laughs> well, we ate. So my dad also, and I. I think this was probably because of like that depression era upbringing. He was from Philadelphia. Yeah. So he had six siblings. He had three sisters and three brothers. Oh my God. And I and they all were, I think, 
some of them were relatively, most of them were relatively close in age. And I think there was the youngest sister was much, much, much younger, but everybody else seemed to be kind of nearer in age. So I think they kind of grew up around, you know, together. And I think from that, there was this thing of making food that that could feed a lot of people right. and could last a long time. So right. my father, my earliest memories, really, he did a lot of soups. He did a lot of stews, collard greens, um, salads, you know, things that he was cooking kind of like for large amounts. He should have cooked like at restaurants or something. I guess he was cooking like large amounts of stuff. But we ate the same thing for that week, whatever was being cooked. So there wasn't like coming home every day, cooking some brand new meal. Oh, so he would make a stew at the beginning of the week and that would be it he for the was week? Great. He was the kind of person that was putting things on the stove early in the morning that were slowly cooking like all day long. But what if you were sitting down on Monday to the stew and you didn't like the stew? That was the meal for the week. It never crossed my mind that I didn't like something. It never crossed my mind. It was just you ate what was provided. Like I never in my mind ever thought to myself, oh God, I'm not going to eat this. You know, I mean, I just don't. But wait a minute. I mean, not thinking to yourself, oh, I'm not going to eat this. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you take a bite and you go, ew. Did you ever take a bite and go, ew? He, he Everything he made was good. Okay, that's... He was a really good cook. Okay. He was a really good cook. And he didn't do recipes. Everything was just intuitive or however he imitated whoever he was imitating. He was just a really good cook. So, And he would do also to... This was a cheat... But when he entertained, like when those other people that all had two names, and sometimes they changed their name again. So who you met them as, you met them as Joy, but then later in the 70s, they were Love or something. So people's names changed again. So (laughs) Jan's losing it. (laughs) These people were were really into like religious science and unity. And those were like the the kind of non-denominational. Are they still doing it? Is your dad still with us? Well, they're not. St- my, fa- my father passed away from colorectal cancer in 2008. Oh, sorry. But my stepmother is is still, she became um, in the late 80s, The she went to ministerial school. She went to Founders Church Religious Science, which was in Koreatown at the time. Okay. It was founded by Ernest Holmes in like the earlier part of the 20th century. And he was kind of... I don't know. I mean, he was just one of those people, I think, that of that time, there was a kind of like a movement of like new thought, new age and metaphysics, especially at that time. Even Ron Hubbard was around in those circles mm. before he wrote Dianetics. You know, mm-hmm. there was a, different people um, that were of that of that ilk. And so um, she became a religious science minister and became the minister of the Austin Church of Religious Science and is still to this day involved in that church and lives in Austin, Texas. But... Okay, yeah. two things leap out at me here. Yeah, uh, colorectal cancer. That seems yeah. highly ironic given it, his so, devotion to right. macrobiotic eating. So because I'll tell you, what I've heard is that colorectal cancer, you know, a big proponent of that is shitty eating. So later in his life, he did remarry much, much later in his life, and I want to say. Maybe in his 60s. I think he would have actually, this year, he would have been 90. That's not that much later in life. Yeah. But but when I say later in his life, I think he was in his 60s at the time. He was in his 60s at the time. He remarried because he was 75 when he passed away. He remarried. and I And I have to say, he did later in his life kind of change his lifestyle. And it became this kind of, I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. Oh, so. But honestly, colorectal cancer, I know people who've had it and they're yeah. they're fine but they didn't have lousy eating habits at all and that's really? true too really yeah. and sometimes it's it's um family yeah you know what i mean yeah but he did so not to say he completely fell apart but i'm just saying he kind of loosened up so and if rainbow later in life okay so if rainbow's in texas being a, a religious minister yeah. What does she do for food since she didn't really have the food? You know, she still kind of eats the same. So when I go visit her, I want to tell you about her other stuff, though. She did do healthy snacks. So we got carrots cut up with with peanut butter on top. Little carrot in the rounds. Um, uh, Celery sticks that would be quartered with like a a little bit of, of, um, of peanut butter on the celery stick. She also did this thing called egg in the eye. And it was like somehow it was like a 
scrambled egg with a buttered piece of bread or something in the frying pan as well. Oh, nice. And then you would cut out a circle in it. I think the egg would somehow end up in like the circle in the bread so it looked like an eye <laughs> or something. That was another one of her signatures. But everything else, I'm telling you, she just kind of, it was just very basic. Very basic. When my, so when, when my parents divorced, my sister, I think I was 17 and my sister was, their, their child was like 12 or something like that, or maybe 10. And so when I tell you, she was had a single mother raising situation in the second half of her childhood. Gotcha. And it was a totally different eating. So she was doing more like fending for herself and ramen noodles. And I, and even yeah. I'm telling you, I would go over there, spaghetti. It was that spaghetti. It was just warmed up bread that was already kind of baked that you'd warm up. You know, like just yeah. kind of basic, easy stuff like that. That had to be one thing she probably missed from that marriage to your dad was the cooking. Yeah, I'm sure. Because even when I visit her, have visited over the last like number of years, you know, in adulthood, it's still the same kind of thing. Like she's just going to like take some cold cuts and make a sandwich. Yeah. She's going to just do bagels and cream cheese. Like she's just... If it's easy, she's not really... If it's the holidays, she'll kind of... Oh, I'm sorry. Also, there's a passed-down cucumber salad in her family oh, as well. Oh, nice. That is good. And I've tried and tried and tried to duplicate it, and I've never been able to. It's hard. It's hard I've to do I've never been like, able to. You know, this yeah. this reminds me... This is bringing something up. When, when your mom and dad split up, your dad had to adjust to not having your mom's fabulous meals every night. How did he... What did he do for food? When Do you know? I think... Were you there? I think you came to visit. And well, this was we, years after the divorce, though. Yeah, but I mean, I think he probably ate out a lot. Mm, and yeah. then he mm. ate a lot of frozen food, yeah, as he, you mm-hmm, witnessed, because mm-hmm. I opened the fridge and it was stacked. I said, oh, Dad, you, good, yeah. you're eating lean cuisine. He's like, yeah, you heat up five or six of those suckers and it'll fill you right up. <laughs> her dad. I mean, time, that's the truth. One time so. I went to her dad's house in Kentucky and he had... I have never seen so much junk food in my life piled on top of the refrigerator, just bags and bags of chips and snacks and, you know, curly cues and stuff. And I was like, this is heaven. But yeah, (laughs) I mean, really, he wasn't healthy. But but again, I never thought about that. Like, if a couple gets a divorce and one Mm -hmm. is the primary cook, Mm -hmm. the other one is like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. I got to do all this. I got to well, figure out what I'm going to eat. When they first split up, my dad lost a lot of weight. Mm. Is that true? That is true. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Really. He did. He lost mm-hmm. a lot of weight. Uh-huh. Interesting. Part of that could have been because he had all of his teeth removed. <laughs> oh, my God. Why? Why did he have all of his teeth removed? <laughs> I- <laughs> I don't. I to guess a, the dentist was like, "You need to do this," and he's like, "Oh, the hell with it! Just take them all out." And so that was his choice, and that's mm, what he did. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! And I don't remember if that was before they split up or not. Anyway, I lose timelines, but there that's, were a couple things going on. Wow! But I think part of him losing weight was, you know, he's out on the t- and wanted to look better. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he stopped drinking and. Oh yeah. Okay. Well. Whatever. Okay. So. Well. So. So as you grew up, do do you feel like you learned from your dad more about how to care for yourself as you became a grown person and lived mm-hmm, on your own? Mm-hmm. Did you find yourself... Well, let me ask you this. When you were a kid, did you sit in the kitchen and watch your dad? No, and I wish I would have. It was more kind of like a don't bother him while he's doing whatever he's doing. Okay. But I wish I would have because... When I went to live on my own, which was the summer I turned 18, I just had my birthday last week. So after Happy I graduated, birthday. thank you, after I graduated high school, I I did a set of circumstances we don't have time to get into today, but I went to live on my own and I knew to cook for myself and to have my own food, but it I ate a lot of bad meals that I made myself because I didn't have recipes I didn't have and I didn't really know exactly what he did and I would ask him stuff oh, yeah. but it took me a minute to kind of like get to enjoying the food I was cooking myself because but he was an instinctive cook he was an instinctive cook so that's and, hard to teach and I was cooking really for a very long time and for I would say most of my 20s I was cooking 
at, out of financial reasons. Like I couldn't afford to be eating out or I couldn't afford. So I knew it was cheap. So I knew how to make some stuff, but it just took me a while before there was kind of an art to it. One of the things that happened is I got a job probably somewhere in my early 20s. I got a job um, as a short order cook <sighs> and ah. I lied to get this job. And so what happened is that I needed a job. My father knew this man. My father had at this point gone back to school to get another to get a a degree in in something he was he was now interested in. I think it might have even been religion or religious studies or something like that. And he knew the husband and wife that owned the cafeteria at this college or ran the cafeteria at this college. They had the cafeteria and then they had this other thing they called the snack bar. So the snack bar. We know all about snack bars. Yeah. So the snack bar, the snack bar was kind of like the fast food grill, the grill. Oh, I know. Yeah. So, so his name was Howard Roach. It was Mr. and Mrs. Roach. And so my father said, How Roach? Yeah. That's a famous uh, director from the old from. Silent movies. Way oh, back in wow. the day. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, go on. So he told me, he said, go down to see Mr. Roach about a job. And I said, okay. And so when I didn't know what that was, and I just thought, whatever, I'm willing to do it. So I went to go meet with Mr. Roach. And this is exactly how it went. It went just like this. Mrs. Roach was there. <laughs> I just saw the back of her head. She was doing some kind of paperwork on whatever, sitting at a desk. She barely like acknowledged me. And I was like, Mr. Roach, I'm Mr. Johnson's son. Da 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 da. And literally he just turned to me and he said, Can you cook, boy? <laughs> and I said, Yes. <laughs> but you couldn't. I didn't know what he said. Go on around there and ask for Dawn. She'll show you what to do. Oh, my God. And I went around there. He just pointed to the snack bar. And I went around there and asked for Dawn. And Dawn was this, like, really serious woman who was about to get, I guess, a degree. I don't know, something in criminal forensics or criminal just something. She was going to be a corrections officer. So that's what she, I don't know what she was doing. But she basically, that she seemed like it. she was going to be a perfect fit. She was, like, very serious very hardcore and she just showed me what to, and i literally started that day like i went over to the snack bar which was a one-man show it was a one-woman show in the case with dawn it was you opened it at 7 a.m you closed at 7 p.m you cleaned the grill you what you mopped the floors at the end and you cooked everything wait a minute and you had to haul all of the food, the kitchen was where the cafeteria was. So you had a push cart that you had to haul all of the food that you would need for that day to the snack bar to have it there in that smaller storage and fridge area and everything you would. And at the end of the night, so when you close, I think it closed at six, but you it was an extra hour of cleaning and mopping and cleaning the grill and all that kind of stuff. So it would be ready the next morning. But wait a minute. Did you cook like, the whole day? Like somebody would come you up. You were order? there. You closed. I think it closed. I think it was like breakfast was like eight to eleven thirty or something. And then you closed down and you had to clean from that. And then reopen, and I think lunch was like twelve thirty to four or five or whatever it was. They needed to close down and clean from that, and that. But it was really a twelve-hour day by the time it was all said and done. But people would come up and order like breakfast rush, and it would yeah, just be you, and it would just be me. And so Don, when I went over there that do- day, this was my training. Don said, "Just do what I do." Wait, I said, "Okay, okay." So and like, so- like you'd have like. 30 people waiting for breakfast and you would try and cook? So this is, let me tell you what happened. The the students came in. The students were there because it also had seating in there. So it was like a hangout spot as well. Oh my God. So the students were there and the breakfast menu was sausage, egg and cheese sandwiches or bacon, egg and cheese sandwiches, maybe like hash browns, which you would like deep fry or whatever. But everything was on this grill. So you were doing the bread on the grill, you were doing the eggs on the grill, you were doing the sausage on the grill, and then you were kind of constructing the sandwich. So Don just said, just do what I do. And so I followed her lead. And let me tell you, it looked, what I was doing looked really <laughs> bad. 
in comparison to what she was doing. So it was really seamless what she was doing. I just like my eggs looked a little jacked up. Also, they looked dirty. Like I kind of, it didn't look like it was a clean scrambled egg over the meat. Everything looked like it was all kind of mashed together. So I put it and then she put it in the cart with the cellophane paper, whatever it was in the little cart. I was imitating her and there were these two women waiting for their order. And I was acting as if what I was presenting was fine in a normal breakfast sandwich. And they got whatever juices they got or whatever. So we got it. She rang it up. And I was just like, here you go. Even though I knew it looked horrible. <laughs> I was pretending like, and I was like, God, please. Fake it till you make it, honey. let her not care. Just let her not pay attention. Just let her take this and it'll be fine. That is not what happened. Oh, very loudly shit. in a room that echoed and boomed. Very loudly, she's at the counter getting the attention of the entire room. She goes, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> Why is mine toe up? Why is mine toe Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <gasps> and and, and so, I'm standing there. And you're like, because I don't know what I'm doing. Because And I'm humiliated and embarrassed. And I'm standing there. And we make her another. Dawn makes her another sandwich really, really quick. And so let me tell you. That really, that job taught me how to cook. Well, that's what I was going to yeah. say because that Jan and I both yeah. waited tables in Chicago for decades. Yeah. Like she worked at RJ Grunts. I worked at DB Kaplan's. Yeah. We worked there way longer than we should have. Yeah. And I'll never forget. <clears throat> and I worked at other restaurant jobs before that. My first one was at Marriott Lincolnshire Resort. And I don't care who you are. The first day you are working in any restaurant, the first day is the baptism by fire day. Yes. Because yes. there's no way to prepare for it. Yeah. You don't go to restaurant school. You know, I mean, you can go right. to restaurant management school, but you don't go to school and learn how to be a waiter right. or a bartender. No. They just chuck you in. Yeah. And well, they give you some training in yeah, Chicago. But, in New York, right. they don't. I When I first moved to New York and I went in to apply for- They just hand They're you like, it. do you have experience? I'm like, yeah. And so they just hand me the apron. It's like, go. And it was a job right across from uh, Rockefeller Center. <laughs> oh, and so the busy, rush busy, hour, busy. the rush hour happened. And I, I mean to tell you, I thought I had been at war by the, and I, and the funniest part is when it was all over that first rush, I thought I'd done great. And the manager or owner, whatever calls me and he goes, uh, come here. He goes, yeah, you're not going to work out. And I'm like, what? I thought I did great. He goes, yeah. He goes, obviously. Fired. Have, yeah. He's like, obviously you don't have any experience. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. I took uh, my apron, which was so heavy because I had nothing but change in it. And then, so it was like weighed a ton. And I, I, I like didn't want to take public. I was exhausted. I f and I was never been fired before ever. And I get in the back seat of a cab and he's like, where do you want to go? I'm like, home. He goes, are you okay? I'm like, no, I just got fired. <laughs> and I'll have to pay you in change. Did you pay him in the change? Yes. No, he wouldn't take it. Aww. He took me home. He's like, honey, it's going to be okay. You're you know what? That's a that's, New York moment right there. That, and you know, like, and that's, that's a good New York moment. Right? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. It was one of those yeah. old timey New York cabbies. Yeah. Exactly. Who's like, all right, honey, you're going to be, you know, yeah. it's like, you're going to be fine. I'm and like, you were young back then. Uh, you were. <laughs> God, she's got to ruin everything I say. Dean calls that. me. The, Dean calls me the ruiner. <laughs> but that—that's I—I totally get it. it. Was that baptism by fire? Oh yeah. my God! And that, but that because what I learned was I learned about timing. Yep. And I learned about um, multitasking. Mm -hmm. And so in, in, you know, it really just seeped in there. And I worked at that place for, I think maybe the better part of a year. Oh, oh God. and I had to walk there. I didn't have a car what? and there wasn't. So I had to walk like a half hour, 40 minutes. Was this USC? Did you say, where was this place? No, this was, so this, at this point, this is in Austin because my stepmother oh. had gotten that job. Okay, so this is At in the Texas. Austin church. Okay. So they didn't divorce until they were in Austin oh, after wow. she got that okay. job. Okay. And then they both ended up remarrying, or she had a long time partner. He ended up remarrying and then his wife passed away a year before, of cancer a year before he did. Ugh. So, but I was walking to the place early oh, in the morning and sometimes and this also covered the summer so this was like a texas summer that's mm -mm. insane that's like ten, worse than woodland hills and i would walk there 
haul that food, you know, raise the thing, you know, do that breakfast stuff, close it down, do the cleaning, reopen, do the lunch, close it down, mop the floor, clean the grill. So it was like I would be leaving. I was exhausted. I think I lost weight, too, from that, just from the walking and the sweating. But we've established that you really don't know when you lose weight, Frederick. We've established that you can be 30 pounds lighter and be like, what am I? Oh, I had no idea. Oh, 30 pounds. Look at that. Who are you? Seriously. Okay, so, but when you, okay, so you're on your own and, you know, you've been under the tutelage of Big Bertha in the old kitchen and you learned how to do stuff. So what did did you, what do you cook for yourself? What did you cook? What do you cook for yourself? what, What I did is that, like, I have to say, like, the nutrition part, I didn't get, you know, the funny thing was, is my dad introduced me to the things he was interested in and that he did, but he didn't push them. So... He took me to, he used to go to the Park Plaza Hotel across the street from uh, MacArthur Park. That's where he used to go swimming. There was like a men's club back there back in the day. I just, I couldn't get into it. He took me to martial arts. I He took signed me up at the Beverly Hills YMCA, which used to be over by the peninsula in Little Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. And I, I just couldn't get, you know, so I got exposed. So I just kind of, by the time in adulthood, I just didn't take those, unfortunately, those habits. He was a great model, but I just didn't for whatever reason. I just- <laughs> Too much of a my, slacker. I was too much of a slacker. I was too lazy. I didn't have the discipline. He yeah. just naturally was a disciplined person to do that. And that just wasn't me. So the nutrition part of things, like I just cooked whatever I cooked and I would make things. And I was into like, because I couldn't do it intuitively, I was into like wanting to have all like whatever the best recipe books were and the best cookbooks and uh, vintage cookbooks. And I'd go to old bookstores to find old, really cool, interesting cookbooks. And, you know, and I'd make stuff, but I don't think it was probably until later that I was got more into thinking of you are what you eat, thinking of more food and as like health. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That didn't come till much, much later. So, but the good thing was, is as I was a person that was probably struggling financially in my 20s and I would say maybe into my early 30s, you know, living in Hollywood, working at different office jobs downtown or in Century City or Beverly Hills. And, you know, just kind of being a young person trying to support myself, trying to make ends meet. I, um, you know, was just cooking more out of like necessity, you know, kind of thing. So I was doing, but the thing I did imitate was making a lot of something that could last. That was the thing I learned that really, really helped me because I remember going, working in these offices and I tempt a lot for different agencies. And those people that, some of them were my age, they were spending, even back then, like seven to $10 a day on lunch, you know, every day. Oh, we're gonna go to lunch today, we're gonna, and I didn't have that kind of money. And like, I wasn't necessarily even a permanent employee at the company. So they would always see me, you know, warming up my collard greens and smoked turkey and my (laughs) cornbread and like sitting in the break room you know and do the because i knew it was kind of like i knew how to survive with food yeah but smoked turkey that's kind of advanced did you have i mean yeah well that's that's what he he did fat back too but that was only i think like what's that fat back or like salt pork okay people well that's the way you're supposed that's the traditional way to do it but i think he only did that if maybe certain relatives came to visit and they really wanted it more authentically other than that, smoked turkey is a more is a healthier yeah. um, alternative. Well, okay, to let's do talk it. about. So, I mean, I'm assuming you've had relationships, you know, a few here and there, a couple of relationships. Did you ever hook up with somebody who was like the ace cook? You know, I always that was one thing too. I have to say, I did work that cooking thing to try to you lure know, to lure. Yeah. To lure, and but, it did. But what about did, you being yeah. lured? I, you know, I don't know. I didn't attract that. Unfortunately, I would like to attract that now, but <laughs> I would. <laughs> I don't think a lot of it was my mindset. I think my <laughs> mindset, sadly, I think my mindset was more back then 
what do I have to do to try to get him? Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it was more like, what was that? A chorus line? God, I hope I get it. I hope I get it. You know, I think I was coming from that. I hope I get it. You know, I hope I get paid. So I think now my mindset's more like, you know, like impress me, you know, show me that you know how to do something, you know? It's an evolution. It's an, it was, it's an, trust me, it's it's an evolution. It's been an evolution. So I think my mindset was more back then, like, you know, but it did work because a lot, I did, you know, meet some halfway decent people that were like, couldn't believe I knew how to be. And because of the short order cooking thing, like I, I could, I remember the first time I made an entire Thanksgiving, I made Thanksgiving for 12 people Ugh, by myself. God. I, I have to give credit to my friend Scarlett, who will, who will listen to this, who knows I'm doing this. Scarlett came over on the Wednesday at three o'clock and I just said, I did a, um, Roasted hazelnuts. This is a Martha Stewart recipe of how to do the roasted hazelnuts. You do the whole hazelnuts, you take them out, but then you need a cloth to wipe the skin up. A lot of it's going to come off easy, but not all of it's going to come off. So I said, your job, (laughs) which came over at three o'clock on Wednesday, I said, your job (laughs) is to wipe down each and every one of these hazelnuts because it's going to end up being an Vert that's going to be tossed with um, shallots, um, sautéed shallots, and and roasted hazelnuts. So I said, you've just got to wipe off the stuff. She was exhausted. I'm sure she from was just wiping off. That's that. Martha Stewart's whole thing: okay. exhaust everybody till they want to kill so, themselves. But that's so I do. Love, and you're still friends with Scarlett. We're still friends to this day. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Scarlett, but we love you, yeah. sucker. That's my go-to green bean dishes: that vert with the sautéed shallots and the roasted hazelnuts. So I did that. She stayed till 10 p.m. helping me prep stuff. Yeah. And um, but I made I mean, I did everything. I mean, I made like because I knew how to make st- I knew about the timing. I knew about how to make multiple things. So it was my first time doing a turkey and Scary. I did a pretty large turkey. I did. I think I just did whatever America's Test Kitchen said, which always <laughs> tends to be on the money. Yeah, they test it. They test it and they test that. I think they're in Vermont. I think that kitchen's in Vermont. Yeah. <laughs> and America's Test Kitchen. So but did you I call did, the Butterball Hotline. I didn't call <laughs> But I did. But, you know, I did use the cooking to lure. And that did that was, you know, people were impressed that like they couldn't believe that it's like because I could do French stuff, but I could do Southern stuff. So they were like, you can do candied yams and fried chicken and and macaroni and cheese. I was like, sure. Yeah, Yeah, why not? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But did you ever have somebody who said, you know, let me cook tonight? And did they cook? You know what? There was this one um, this one nice man who grilled he was into grilling Mm. and he had me he lived over near the earth cafe kind of melrose la cienega around there and he did invite me over we he invited me over to watch the rock and roll hall of fame which is like a five-hour show on hbo (laughs) i know it's like five hours it goes forever it's like five hours he invited me over and he grilled and it was really good and it was nice and i was like what can i bring he was like you don't need to do anything he said you just come over and he did the full thing and grilled and that was really really nice i mean that was nice to just i think i i think i bought brought beverages beverages yeah yeah yeah. you know the earth cafe isn't the earth cafe where you saw hugh laurie that one time yeah, and I made the mistake of going up and saying some pakakta thing to no, him. Said, and- she was like, oh, I'm such a fan. And then he was just like, mm. like he was totally uncomfortable with the star inter- like the yeah. star fan interaction. He just looked at me like, really? Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> well, I kind of don't blame him. He was trying to have his granola and jams over there like, oh my God, like- you're so good and everything. <laughs> it's so ironic. Every... The vast majority of celebrities I've seen is in the grocery store. Really? I have met I met Angie Dickinson in the produce section, <gasps> Mrs. Gooch's before on Crescent Drive before it was Beverly Hills. What it was is she Mrs. doing Gucci's. shopping for her own groceries? Where's her we person- were smelling Where's her cantaloupes and watermelon. We were, this was before Whole Foods. We didn't know what Whole Foods was. I think it was still one Whole Foods in Austin, Texas. They must have bought Mrs. Gooch's because that was that was the little chain. And they used to be on Crescent Drive between Wilshire and whatever the next street north was. And I was in there because I was working in Beverly Hills. Oh, no, I think I was a personal assistant to this wealthy Beverly Hills woman. And and one of my jobs was I had to go. She got certain things from different grocery stores. 
And so one of them was from Mrs. Gucci. She got this, you know, from this store, she got that. So I was doing the Mrs. Gucci stuff and Angie Dickinson was in there and we were, she was smelling like a cantaloupe or something. Wait, were you a personal chef or something? No, I was a personal assistant. And this one of my things, basically I would go to this woman's office. She was like a very successful businesswoman. And I would go to her office and there was a dossier on a little desk and I had this small little desk. She had an assistant. She had a, a secretary that worked out of her house up in the hills off like Coldwater Canyon and whatever. She had an assistant at her office. And then I was the personal assistant, which meant I was just doing running around doing things all day. And I had a little desk that I would come and there would be a dossier. And sometimes I wouldn't even see her. The dossier, I would open it up and it would just had a list. And I knew on Mondays, I go to these stores and get these things. The grocery stuff was Monday. And then literally it would be stuff ripped out of fashion magazines. And it would just say, buy two, you know, buy five or whatever, at like (laughs) Neiman Marcus or whatever. And also picking up her dry cleaning, dropping things off at her lawyer, like, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I was doing- we need, Jen. We need a personal assistant to do our stuff for us and go shopping for us. Because this, but you know, it's like she didn't, like she just was, she was, she was working for all the time. Like it wasn't like she was laying around eating bonbons. No, I mean, no, she no, was, no, no, no. she really was working. It's like she was, you know what I'm saying? So it wasn't like just indulgence to have, have this stuff. She, but she, um, you know, had, that's how big her life was, uh, in that respect. So, um, but at this, but also at Whole Foods in, um, Studio City off Coldwater Canyon, I met John Voigt. I met, um, when I moved out to Woodland Hills, I lived near, uh, there's a Bristol Farms on Valley Circle out there. So I went to Bristol Farms and and I used to see this woman at Bristol Farms all the time. But this the first time I went, we almost got into, I had to let her have the last batch of collard greens in the produce section. <laughs> Because I was going to make some collard greens and there was one batch and she was reaching Denise Richards. We were both reaching for the collard greens. And I was like, I'm just going to let Denise Richards have these collard greens. Yeah, you have it, honey. But I think she's a cook because I saw her at the store all the time, like on a regular basis. So I think she really cooks. Yeah. She really does cook. She, she must was always, cook. But yeah. What are you making now for yourself? Post Valley Fever. I, um, so I'll I'll tell you... Pre-Valley Fever, um, I got into the pole plant-based craze right. a few years back. I got into that. So and you I gave thought, up meat and all that stuff? And I tried that. And I and that was also kind of an evolution of trying to understand food in a different sort of way. And I, and I think my doctor maybe even told me maybe I should cut out red meat. And so I thought, well, you know what? Everyone's kind of doing this plant-based. And I don't think they were saying plant-based yet. I think it was just vegan. Yeah. So I thought, you know what? That's my next thing. I'm going to try this vegan thing. So I started doing that. And I wasn't into fake meat because I tried it. So I tried the fake sausages and the morning stars and the whatever. I just didn't like the way it tasted. So I was just trying. So I was learning Oh, I can get my proteins out of this. Oh, I can get these are healthy fats. These are so I was trying to find where can I get the same things I need from different foods. So I got into that and were you full on vegan? Like no cheese, no honey, I was no butter? Full, I was full on vegan. And then mm. I and I discovered Instagram. I was like the last I mean, I discovered it was 2019. But I <laughs> Wow. Because I wasn't really I kind of didn't really get into social media really to be honest until like 2019 so i got into (laughs) i had a facebook account and then i really went on it in 2019 and it was like years of people saying happy birthday for like years i never had gone on and so um i started doing that so i thought you know what i'm gonna try to this whole niche is like a um vegan food influencer i'm gonna really try that so i really got into that and the staging and the pictures and the whatever. And I was following all these people that were really well-known in that space. And then plant-based was becoming a more trendy lingo. So I was really into following these people. And then it just got to a point of, after a while, you have to start really making stuff up because it's like how much, because then people started shaving carrots and making carrot bacon. And people started to, you know, after a while, it was like, 
how many things can you do with a mushroom? Well, like how that's, many? That's kind of a whole different podcast because how many things can you do with a mushroom is a huge food. I don't know how food influencers keep their shit up. That's what I'm saying. And because I got it's left like, in the there's dust. There's only so many things you can post about. That's that's what I'm saying. There's and not they, like a different there's not like eight hundred different foods yet to be discovered. You know? That, that's what I'm saying. And so after you make the black bean burgers <laughs> again. And after you make the you know, because everyone kind of does the same stuff, but then you have to keep reinventing yourself and you have to keep making it interesting. And after a while, it just started sounding a little kind of some people I just thought like it was a bridge too far. Yeah. Like they were kind of coming up where well, they were just making up genre stuff. I've seen it right. with, I've seen food Instagrammers and yeah. food bloggers just completely go off the rails. Off the rails. Completely. And so then I got into, I thought, well, what am I going to do? So I found within plant-based, there's kind of a, um, like, like what's the word? Like really hardcore subset of plant-based people that they go by this acronym of, P. it's like PBWFNO. That's their acronym. And it's plant-based whole foods, no oil. Oh, so God. there's a whole subset and they're really, they're like PETA. Like they're very like, Agro. Why are they anti-oil? They don't do oil. So I was caught up in those websites and chat rooms and you get chastised. They're literally, they review, you have to put what the ingredients are and they're reviewing it before they approve the post because they would, they won't post it if, if there's oil, they won't post it. You know, they don't do the fake meat, everything. So and they were like, and you have to even to join the group, you have to be committed to only sharing about things that are whole foods, plant-based, no oil. So I was in that for a minute. And then the people that are in there, and I realized a lot of people that were doing that, they're trying to just, they're like really like marketing executives that's in their, in their former life. So they're marketing executives that are now trying to then turn around and suddenly they want you to buy their products or their book oh, or yeah. do their life coaching thing. And I thought, oh, okay. So it way, was- Valley yeah. Fever snapped you out of your cult yeah. thing and got you back so, into beef nachos. So what happened, exactly. So what <laughs> happened is that I just got really exhausted by the whole thing in my body. I'm just telling you is I've never been, I've never owned a scale. I've never been one of these people that was counting calories. I, I just never was. I would just go to the doctor and hope the news would be good when I had my physical. But my body, I felt like my body was just specifically like my body was saying, like, I want meat. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what, what I hear it, from a lot of people who yeah. go off meat for a long time. Once yeah. they have meat again, the body is like, oh, God, thank you. That's what it was saying. Yeah. It was really saying. So I was just listening to that. So I just started kind of working things back in. This is pre-Valley Fever. Pre-Valley Fever. Yeah. And then eventually after the Valley Fever, I'd say what happened is that from everything we have talked about, which is kind of the broad strokes journey of it, I think I finally came to a point of where I know how to eat healthy um, and I know how to and, and and it's like I'm but I'm still kind of eating what I want within reason. I'm kind of for the most part not doing red meat anymore because it was a doctor's thing. Right. Um and now even when I have that every blue moon steak, it's a it, it immediately becomes a major digestion issue for me. Yeah. So I've kind of let that go. And I, sometimes I tempt the waters that you know that four times a year someone has a birthday party and it's at a steak place or something. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'll have a little I'll have a little something and still have a digestive issue. Interesting. So I really just try to keep it in there. And turkey, unless I'm doing collard greens with smoked turkey, I'm really not even that much of a turkey person except Thanksgiving. So I really keep it in the realm of chicken and fish. fish. Yeah. Um, God, those collard greens sound good, don't they? But that's one of it. So I have signatures. My collard greens, I have now, I can say they're better than my father's, which that's the only thing I can say is better. I got my <laughs> potato salad to where his was. Okay. Because that was another thing. So I've got signatures. I've got a signature potato salad. I've got my, the collard greens. People ask me, people say, will you please make collard greens for me? So I've got that down um, there's all kinds of stuff in there. I do apple cider vinegar in there. I do molasses in there. I do brown sugar. It's a little bit, it's, you're barely going to take, it's really kind of 
creates an amazing flavor for the greens. But you don't you're have to not, convince me. My mouth is literally. But you don't like, think like, oh, I, it tastes sweet. No. It doesn't taste sweet. It's just it's the right combination Mix. of all of these yes. things. Yes. And then I slow cook them. And I don't have a slow cooker. I just cook them on low in the pot for three hours. Yeah. So That's I simmer the smoked turkey for like a half hour in a broth that I make. And then I put the greens in there and I've done blends. I've done blends where I've done like kale and collard greens and stuff. And that can, that can be good too. But I just do the straight up collard greens. Oh God. Um, and then my sweet signatures are pecan pie and a peach pie. Oh, I think oh, we, yeah. we might be, we might have to start expanding our Thanksgiving list, but I have to say we're out of I'll, time. Oh my God! Okay, because I will, time. with an invitation, I will be happy to bring a pecan pie for Thanksgiving. Okay. The the peach pie I made this. I always just do fresh peaches farmers market. I made one this one or two this summer already. Oh my God! Yum! Uh, yeah. An icebox lemon pie I do <gasps> okay. as well. Yeah. That sounds good. It's good. Jan, it's good. Jan, all of Jan's sugar the receptors icebox lemon just pie came. is good. That I, that, really I'm still good. obsessed on that greens thing, but I can't believe. Like we've been talking for an hour and it feels like we've been talking for oh five God. minutes. Well, You're gonna have to come back and we have I to know. we have to do a deep dive on the collard greens. I'm a talker. I'm a talker. No, we're I, we're talkers too. So th- I yeah. mean Well, one of us is Jan, we're say, fine. Both listen, of us are talkers. But listen, so, I wanna just say thank, thank you for coming. Thank and you. thanks for sharing your journey. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Especially thank the you. medical stuff, which I you know, it's so interesting and in how the food ties in. Yeah. You know, I mean it's it's and I would say you're more disciplined than your father. Yeah. You just don't realize it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, would, I, would I can see that now. Yeah, definitely. I can see Well, I maybe see you weren't now. maybe you weren't out of the gate, but you definitely became yeah. that, you know. It's all about evolution, right? Yeah, yes. And I, and I think once you kind of at least I'll just speak for myself like I think I kind of a lot of it was uh, maybe a been there done that and it was easy to kind of subtract stuff yeah. that I thought I would always eat or ate so much of. And so now it's just more like a contentment with, okay, you know, every day I have I have some greens at some point in the day, I have some greens. Maybe it's in a smoothie. Maybe it's a salad. Maybe I'm throwing the greens in a soup, you know? Yeah. Um, I do a lot of soups too and try to have stuff that maybe I ordinarily don't like to eat. Maybe if it's squash or mushrooms or whatever. I try to throw it in that. And you can do summer soups, lighter soups, colder soups. They don't have to be heavy. Yeah. So I do that. And I just try to have some form of greens every day. And then every morning I drink a smoothie that has raspberries or blueberries or both. Um, and seeds, chia seeds, um, pumpkin seed, chopped walnuts, peanut butter, yeah, this avocado. Is, this is very disciplined. Yeah, every morning. I've been drinking that this for is very ever. Every morning, that's what I drink for breakfast. This is very disciplined. Yeah. Well, thank you for thank sharing you. all this. And we will definitely talk to you again. And, uh, you know, Jan and I are done for this session. Bye. 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 <laughs>